スラジャンシュエルドシはい。But we、yeah. also, you know, both picked up、uh, Saturn in '96. And so I'm sure we had a lot of、uh, impressions regarding the hardware. And I thought I'd kick it off just by asking you, like, what was the biggest impression or impact、uh, that the hardware had on you personally? So, I mean, as you know, I kind of started off as a Genesis、um, user, right? And so I was sort of familiar with. Sega's general sort of de- design philosophy in terms of how you know, the hardware looked and sort of the, the solid feel of it. And so the first time I actually played a Saturn, when I rented the machine, the Saturn just looked so sleek and so futuristic and so heavy and kind of expensive, if that makes sense. you know?、um, I ended up, it was the rental unit, was of course one of the、uh, launch models. So it was the sort of oval button. Uh, unit and it,、um, it, you know, first of all, it, this was the first game system I had ever tried that had,、um, you know, like a,、um, uh, a BIOS. So, you know, you turned it on without a game and something happened. So it wasn't like a cartridge system where you needed that cartridge to sort of close the loop, right? right. So that took a little getting used to for me. It was like, okay, well, what do I do? How do I launch a game? Like, you know, because these were. These were early days. Oh, that so right. You, didn't have a C, you did not have a Sega CD, right? Until later. Correct. Yes. So、okay. that was not something I had experienced with before. So, you know, of course, it took no time at all to sort of figure out okay, how do you launch a game and how do you get things started? But to me, I was just over the moon with the fact that I could turn this thing on and kind of mess around with it without actually having a game in. And, you、yes. know, it seems so silly in retrospect, doesn't it? But. That was just the thing for me. So, yes,、yeah, so、my first impression was like, okay, this thing is, you know, next level. It is bigger, it is heavier, it can play without there being a game in there, it has a screensaver. Like, it just, you know, you、yeah. know fanboyism, I guess. But that, that piece of it, I guess, blew me away.、Um, and I'm wondering if it was the same for you or if you'd had experience with、uh, CD based systems before, because you had a Sega CD, right? I did not.、Um, no, actually. I mean, I, okay, so I'd been around friends' houses with Sega CDs.、Um, I think、mm-hmm. I was kind of familiar with the, the idea of a BIOS, but, and of course, we had a PlayStation in my house before a Saturn. So the PlayStation kind of has a BIOS. You know, if you boot it up without、yeah. a game, it does the initial Sony computer entertainment and then it goes into the memory card manager. It's very bare bones, you know, in terms of, Uh, you know, soft included software on the the BIOS chip. But I was, you know, blown away when I got the Saturn, you know, and it came packed with like all of this stuff. Like, I mean, first of all, it had internal memory, right? With, with the little clock、mm. battery. You say it had internal memory right off the bat, and it had like a, a CD player. And not only that, but the Yamaha sound chip and the, the sound hardware 
that was included with it, you could do some crazy stuff like removing the vocals or like warping the vocals, the changing the pitch, doing all that kind of crazy stuff. So if you were a poor kid without that many games, you, you darn sure you were, you know, spending time just messing around, (laughs) grabbing all of your audio CDs and putting them in there and being like, Hey, look, you know, I can, I can remove the vocals from this and make it a karaoke CD or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. I would. I don't think that can be understated. Yeah, the the Saturn's BIOS is pretty uh, robust. It's robust, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so I ultimately ended up getting a PlayStation much, much later. And yeah, by in comparison, it is so bare bones on Sony's machine. You know, the the sort of um, sound uh, synthesizer, I guess, is is really kind of fully featured and you can do a lot of stuff and shuffle tracks and, you know, do all this crazy stuff that, uh, uh, and then, you know, you can, you can turn it all down and, and just watch the screensaver with your CD music playing in the background, the spaceship. And like the spaceship. Yeah, definitely. And I have to admit, I kind of spent some time looking to see if there was a way to get control of that spaceship or whatever. Cause I don't know if you remember, but on the master system, on some versions of a master system, you could find a hidden game. Right play without cartridge right so i was kind of wondering whether there was some way to you know if there was some easter egg or something that you could find on the saturn sadly there wasn't but still you know i I have to admit i spent some time looking Mm -hmm. so that was a bit of fun um and i I even thought that the whole sort of front end was really kind of sleek it wasn't just functional but it was stylized and you know the menus were sort of like a future retro kind of uh, kind of appearance and and to me they're actually super appealing nowadays too mm-hmm. you know like they've aged quite well they're it's just it's nice it's a nice look to it um right. and, and i really like it a lot and you know you'd mentioned onboard memory and you know whether that was sega's engineers sort of taking the lead in how this machine should look versus sony's marketing folks realizing that this is something that they could extract you know, some extra money out of uh, consumers by separating the memory and selling it as a little card. Um, but it has just been, it, it was, it was a great thing to have onboard memory on the Saturn um, compared to, compared to the PlayStation. And no even kidding. though it wasn't, you know, that, that much memory, it wasn't that much room. It, it was enough to get you, you know, buy on five, six, seven games, you know, easily. So um, yeah, that to me big was a big deal. Honestly, like having a PlayStation first, I just kind of thought that I wouldn't be able to save my game. You know, so again, mm-hmm. I have to go back and to what I said before in the last episode that I didn't really read up on Saturn before I got one. I didn't mm-hmm. I wasn't one of those kids who like knew all about it. It definitely uh, caught me off guard. And uh, I didn't know much about it. So I didn't even know that I would be able to save games. You know, I just kind of bought it with the assumption that I'll have to save up and try to buy a memory card later, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course I was like really pleased and surprised to find that I was able to save my games like right out of the box, Mm -hmm. um, which was, which was amazing because you just couldn't do that with the PlayStation um, or any other CD based system really. I mean, it was like the uh, even the, well, I guess that's not fair. I guess with the, with the Neo Geo CD, I guess you can, but that that's, that's another story entirely. But the fact is I was blown away by that. And I thought that that was rad. Um, But let me ask you something because you read all about the Saturn and and it sounds like you knew about it long before. So as someone who didn't read about it and didn't really know anything, know much about it before I got one, were you fooled into thinking that the cartridge slot was for Genesis games? Because that's what, that's what I thought. I'm not even kidding. I know that that sounds cliche by now because a lot of people say that, but I seriously am one of those folks who thought I might get the the system home and be able to stick, you know, Sonic 2 in there. Yeah, yeah. No, so that's such a good point because you're right. That is something that's just, you know, prevailing out there, right? That when the Saturn launched, it could play Genesis games or whatever because it had a cartridge slot. And of course it can't. Yeah. But, um, so initially when I saw photos of, you know, sort of prototype Saturns and whatever, where there was a cartridge slot, I thought, oh, right on. This is awesome. I'm going to be able to play some Genesis games, maybe even some 32X or something. But, you know, I was able to read pretty quickly that, no, this, you know, the two uh, platforms are completely incompatible. So mm-hmm. so I knew, um, and I didn't think that Sega was in any way misleading and trying to get people to think 
like to actively sort of, you know, perpetuate that. No, that, no. Um, but, but there, there were nevertheless, I thought a lot of people that did think that you could play Genesis games on a Saturn. Out it of just the seemed like a logical conclusion. I mean, you know, they had, they already had like, they already had the master, si- uh, the base converter or whatever for the master system, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's like backwards, uh, backwards compatibility was kind of a thing back then, you know, like it was, uh, it was an emerging thing that you saw more and more with, uh, you know, uh, backwards compatibility with the super Nintendo being able to play like game boy games and stuff like that, you know? So yep. those kind of things were common enough to where yes. a kid would think, Oh my gosh, this is going to be the coolest thing ever. There's a cartridge slot, you know, I can play my, you know, so yeah, you're right. Sega certainly didn't publish anything to mislead people. I would argue they didn't publish a whole lot at all because <laughs> like I said, I didn't know anything about it, but, um, and I, and again, I didn't have my ear to the ground, but it definitely caught me off guard. And so I did try, you know, and, and quickly find out that, yeah, okay, this is, this must be for something else, you know? And then yeah. of course, come to find out, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the memory card was like this huge cartridge, you know, mm-hmm. and that just seemed like a missed opportunity to me. Cause that was a little, that was a little funky, you know, cause memory cards by that time, I thought of it as being like something like the Sony PlayStation. It was supposed to be like this tiny little card that you could fit in your pocket and take over to your friend's house, you know? So that was kind of silly. You know? And isn't that interesting? Because again, having grown up with Sega, my idea of a memory card came from, and even though I didn't own one until later, um, if you recall Sega CD, it did have a tiny right. bit of onboard memory, but you could buy like a Genesis looking cartridge, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. stick into the Genesis. And that was sort of the larger backup cartridge so i know that now i know that yeah i learned later right? on that that's the format that those uh the the backup cartridge was basically like a genesis cart i don't think at the time that i that i was aware of that so that's fine. yeah and see so to me knowing that you know that that was a saturn cartridge slot that was to me like a very sort of natural evolution of mm-hmm. sega hardware like that to me made sense whereas sony's tiny little not even credit card size they're even smaller than that um, um, memory cards to me that was different so it, it's funny how we have a different perspective there right because yeah to me the sony stuff was a little bit weird whereas you know the the big giant cartridge was more normal to me well i was familiar with the uh snk arcades and the little uh, memory card that you could just slot into the arcade system and save and then put it on your mm-hmm. aes you know um i was familiar Fair. with that and then when, when we got a playstation it just seemed kind of logical that it would be a memory card you know because that's what they called it a memory card um Mm -hmm. you know honestly it seems like it would have made perfect sense uh for them to take the backup ram cart from the sega cd and just continue using it on the saturn and they had that motorola uh chip you know in the saturn they could have had some backup backwards compatibility stuff going on there maybe it was even in the works you know but maybe it just ended up being a money thing you know who knows Okay, so I do recall reading, and oh my goodness, it's going to bother me now that I can't remember the source or the circumstance, but I do recall that because the Motorola 68000 chip was employed in the Saturn as the sound processor, Mm -hmm. that backwards compatibility was on the table at one point. Mm -hmm. But why was it scrapped is what I can't remember, whether that was a cost thing or whether there was some other reason, I don't recall at the moment. But yeah, I mean, to me, had Sega gone ahead, and, and I realize the Saturn was, you know, a Japanese product. It wasn't developed in America. But uh, had they gone ahead, where, where of course the Mega Drive didn't do very well, but had they gone ahead and implemented backward compatibility with Genesis, I think that would have done a ton to save them from the sort of PR beating that they took by Mm -hmm. releasing and then abandoning the CD and the 32X. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but ultimately they chose not to, but I still, I look at the Saturn hardware and to me, that is the last piece of Sega hardware that you could tell was just designed by the hardware folks with a lot less input from the PR folks. Like if you think of, you know, all the capabilities of it, the fact that it does have onboard memory, the fact that it has such a robust, you know, um, music player and, and the fact that there are, you know, multiple ports for additional expansion, uh, you know, models and so on and so forth. Um, whereas if you look at, again, you know, the PlayStation, 
It was very sort of streamlined. Bare bones, yes, but streamlined and effective in all the right places, right? So, you know, you could tell that, okay, so yeah, obviously it was engineered um, uh, by folks um, that that knew how to, how to work chipsets, but, you know, the fact that the memory was separate, that seems to me as more of a marketing move. The fact that, you know, it doesn't seem to have nearly the amount of ports that the Saturn has. That seems to me a very sort of product focused approach as opposed to a designer's approach, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so it just it just seemed like, um, uh, you know, a machine that was made by gamers for gamers. Um, you know, and that didn't end up being the, the right move as time would you know go to show. But it's still it's a very cool gamers machine. Ultimately, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, I think that you and I are both kind of like pragmatic in terms of what we realize its failings are. And yet we love it in spite of all those things. You know, I think that it definitely, you know, I mean, as someone who even enjoys the 32X library and I'm, you know, I, I like the 32X, even though I totally admit that it, it, it did more harm than good, you know, for Sega really. And I think that it does make more sense that they, without the 32X could have had the backward compatibility on the Saturn, you know, and use the Saturn to augment old Genesis games or, you know, extend the releases for Genesis games, but also have when combined with the Saturn, you could have CD audio and stuff like that, you know, that they could have done a lot of what they did with the 32X and the Sega CD, but with the Saturn, you know, so that does make like more sense in hindsight, but of course, they didn't have the benefit of hindsight. So here we are, you know, um, yep. but can we talk about for a second um, just how sexy the Saturn looked, at least personally uh, speaking? Like, I think that the PlayStation was definitely a striking machine. It did not look like, uh, you know, any previous machines. It was very kind of squat and flat and it had this huge disc lid. So it had its own look going for it. But the Saturn, I think just as far as like a sleek system, it's one of the best looking game systems that I've ever seen, you know, and I still feel that way. How about you? Uh, definitely. So good point. Like to me, the PlayStation looked very industrial. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yes. Very sort of functional. You know, it it was it was sort of it was there to exist to play games. It wasn't necessarily there to look pretty. Mm-hmm. But the Saturn looked like a like a really sort of high end piece of tech, specifically that first model. Uh, casing with the with the oval buttons you know it had a it had an access light it had you know um obviously a power light it had it had lines and and sort of different types of plastic and everything and it just it was it looked really good it looked expensive it looked powerful it it looked um it looked very next gen compared to um obviously the, the the playstation so I loved it. I loved it a lot. And then ultimately when, when Sega revised the casing of the Saturn, and you got to remember in Japan, that first model casing was only ever available in that gray and blue color scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, when Sega um, revised the unit enough to create a new shell for it with the round buttons all of a sudden, um, those were only ever produced in white. Well, I, I, I guess there were a few clear models and so on, but but they were never produced in the gray and blue color scheme. So unless it was a like a V Saturn, you know, right? Like if it was a non Sega Saturn, right. yes, absolutely, exactly, yeah. Um, whereas, of course, in North America and in Europe, for that matter, they were always all black. Um, and so the first Saturn that I rented was an oval Saturn, of course, as I mentioned, Mm -hmm. but the Saturn that I first bought was a round button Saturn. And so, you know, (laughs) right. Um, And so, you know, you've got the axis light removed. You've got, there's a, there's actually a little known memory reset soft button on the motherboard that you can access through the um, battery port on right. Model One Saturns mm-hmm. that that was removed on the uh, second uh, uh, version of the the casing. All the Saturns mm-hmm. that came after that, so those were all gone. Um, you know, and there were a couple other sort of streamlining um, um, uh, design choices that were made for the second model, and it actually looked to me more industrial too like it wasn't it was still i thought a very sort of sleek and sexy machine but it didn't have that sort of high-tech futuristic hi-fi look of the first 
models um, hmm. case. Do you know what That's, I mean? Yeah, like, I, I guess, I guess, you know, like I think that, I think that uh, the popular answer is to, for a lot of people is to say like the model one looks better. Right. You know, um, one thing's for sure that the model two and we're calling it model two just in terms of the case design. Okay. Correct. Folks, because yes. we are well aware that there are numerous revisions of the, of the actual motherboard and they come in all different flavors and they've gone in all different, they've gone in both cases, you know, so, and Peter could do an entire uh, dissertation on that probably, <laughs> but but for the time being, we're just referring to the case here. The Model 2, quote unquote, it was my first and I loved it. I absolutely loved the design. So when I'm talking about how sexy it was and how sleek it was, I'm referring to the Model 2. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I do absolutely love the Model 1 uh, and I have a couple of them, um, even one complete in box. Uh, and I think it's amazing. Obviously, it's obvious just from an aesthetic standpoint that there were cost savings in the Model 2, you know. It's just kind of, you know, they, I wouldn't say it, it looks like they took shortcuts, but it just, they've definitely reduced costs, you know, using less yep. one kind of plastic instead of the two different kinds of plastic, you know, with the, the, the shine and, and the gloss and everything like that, you know, um, overall the model one seems like a more expensive unit, but I do still have a really fond place in my heart for the model two. I just, you know, I, I probably have more model twos than I do model ones. Cause it's just kind of, it's a depend, they're very dependable too, you know, in terms of, uh, yep. at least anecdotally speaking, I can, I can say I've had more luck with the model twos in terms of the lasers and stuff like that, you know, even though they they were meant to cut costs. Um, it all, they also had like a, a most of them had a streamlined motherboard you know, where there were less, there wasn't like as many daughter boards. It was just kind of pretty streamlined. Oh yeah, definitely. And to be honest, I don't want to give the impression that I dislike uh, the, the model, the look of the model two case either. Right. I think they're both, they're just both fantastic. Um, you know, really top notch and interesting that you mentioned sort of cost cutting and whatever. Even back in the day when the Saturn was current, it was widely reported that it was a very well-built machine, that the failure rates of these units were exceptionally low, you know, that people didn't have problems with them. Because I don't know if you recall, Dave, but at the very beginning, Sony had all kinds of problems with their lasers going really bad on the uh, initial PlayStations. Hmm. And I think it had something to do with using plastic um, like the, 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 the track upon which the laser moves up and down. Oh was yeah. That, you know, like it warmed when the unit was on for extended periods of time and it warped that, that track and it wore it out. And so eventually folks had to like, you know, play their playstations facing sideways to get more yes. track. I've heard about that. I've never myself experienced the having, I mean, my, my playstation works great, but, uh, to this day, but I've heard about people having to like sit them up sideways and they yeah. even built like, you know, trays for them to be sat sideways or whatever. That's, that's funny. Yeah. Whereas the, you know, that was never an issue with the Saturn. It was always regarded as a very well-built machine with, you know, I don't, you know, potentially higher quality components and so on and so forth. And again, to me, that speaks of the, you know, this is a designer's machine. It was, mm-hmm. it was, you know, they had the, the primacy over, um, you know, and the final say over how the units would be built. And so whether you're talking about the very first board revision all the way through to the very last one, they are very sturdy. And, you know, of course, as you go through the um, the various revisions of the Saturn, uh, the internals of, of, of the machines get smaller and more streamlined and there's less uh, daughter boards until eventually there are no daughter boards and, you know, it's all on one board and the board itself gets smaller. Then there's the you know, there's a reduction in how many chips are used and so on and so forth. But regardless of which revision we're talking about, um, you know, I've never had a Saturn fail on me for, you know, like a component going bad or anything like that. Other than potentially I've had to mess around with a few of the lasers simply because, you know, they've they've worn out. The the, um, the, the nitpicks that I would have that I would have to say are problems uh, with the design. Um, if I had to, you know, I would point out that, um, I don't feel like the controller ports, they, it uses a proprietary connector, you know, it doesn't use, uh, the same connector they use for the Genesis, you know, um, the, the PlayStation, for example, 
those controllers when they plug in you almost have to like wrench them out of the control the out of the machine they're they're stuck in there so well and i part of that is because it's plastic on plastic you know so there is a lot of friction there um and, and it's a it's a friction fit you know um with the saturn i always kind of felt like they're a little delicate you know like the you know mm. you put the controller in there and it's like kind of like a usb cable uh, for lack yep. of a better comparison you don't really want to put any kind of downward pressure on it because it could bend you know and potentially even um crack the solder joints you know i've always kind of and i can't say that i've ever had a a saturn controller or input fail on me but it always seems a little more delicate than like say the playstation or even the super nintendo controllers which were also plastic on plastic uh, in terms of the fitting and then also the mini din on the back for the AV connection. I do know that I've had, you know, when you're trying to do it blind, you know, and you're trying to connect it, plug it in blind, you know, there is a potential for bending pins there. It is a much more delicate and finicky connector than, uh, you know, some of the multi AV connectors that either Sony or Nintendo would use, you know, or even for that matter, the old Genesis one that had the big pins that were almost like a MIDI connector, you know, it was mm. much bigger and much more robust, you know, than the, the mini din connector that the Saturn went with. And then, um, the only, the other thing I would say is brittle plastics, but that that's more like a thing over time, you know, the, the power, the yep. plastic for the, um, the power connector, you know, where you'd plug in the power in the back, um, those go brittle over time and the screws break off, you know, <laughs> and then, then yeah. you need like a 3d printed part to, to repair. But those are my, really my only nitpicks to the entire, you know, hardware. So I'm going to add one big one and that is the finicky cartridge slot. Oh, oh yes. Okay. So you know? I don't know how I could have forgotten that. Go for it. <laughs> So, but so it's interesting. It's not necessarily, it's, it's not really a cartridge based system. Right. So I guarantee you that more than 50% of all Saturn users when the, the unit was in retail probably never owned a memory card. And so they just never Damn. experienced right. the issue. Right. Yes. But yeah. I, and I've heard different reasons for it. Um, the most plausible one being that the sort of pin density is much, much greater than previous um, cartridge-based inputs, right? And so, therefore, it's a lot more finicky to just get it in there and seat it correctly, you know, and, uh, you know, add to that the fact that you could buy third-party peripherals that would plug in, whether it was Action Replays or Game Sharks or you name it, and, and the PCB boards there were potentially either thicker or not beveled or whatever. So, you know, you were sort of distorting and sort of pulling apart the pins and or the, uh, the connection in your, in your cartridge slot. And so it just, it became a weak point for me for the system in that cartridge slot, especially for heavy users or hardcore users who wanted to swap between memory cards and, you know, the one megabyte cartridge or the four megabyte cartridge or whatever, the, the net, net link, link. Exactly. whatever. Right. And so funny story. Um, so I have multiple, multiple Saturns and I, a few months ago was testing uh, local head to head net link. Cause I've got a, uh, telephone line simulator and all the rest of it, a couple net links. And I just was having an absolute bugger of a time trying to get the setup to work. And after trying absolutely everything and not getting any kind of connection, I actually swapped out one Saturn and stuck it uh, and, and swapped in a different Saturn and all of a sudden it worked. So the, the funny thing is the cartridge slot on the one Saturn recognized the net link, understood there was a net link cartridge connected and looked like it was going to do everything correctly, but just it wasn't connected well enough for it to um, to go through the line simulator and, and connect to the other to the other Saturn. Whereas as soon as I swapped it out um, with a fresh Saturn, fresh memory card slot, I was able to connect no problems. So, you know, it's it's a very, very finicky thing. You never want to kind of bump it or whatever, because you always hold your breath. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're nervous, whether it's static or whatever, that you're going to corrupt your memory card. And I think you may have some experience with that, Dave. I do. See, it's card. like you're saying with the, with the Netlink, even if it's connected and it's recognized, you don't know if there's even one pin that's not connected or that's not making, you know, not making connection on that edge connector. And boy, let me tell you, if, if, 
if there's if even one pin is not making contact, it could result in something as simple as not being able to connect with a Netlink game, right? But it could mm. also result in corrupted memory, a corrupted save to your uh, backup memory cart. And I had this issue where, um, you know, the cart, the backup memory cart was seated. It was recognized. I thought everything was good. So I went ahead and saved my game of Shining Force or whatever. Um, you know, come to find out, then I go back and I'm trying to retrieve any of my data from the cart. And it turns out the whole thing's been corrupted, you know, and I can't access any of the data, any of the saves on the entire card. And that's literally my entire save library backed up to that backup cart. And, uh, I, you know, I wanted to cry honestly. And Peter of course had some experience and he, he gave me an excellent tip, which is you know, turn on your memory manager and attempt to perform a reformat of the backup card. And then as soon as you, it initiates the reformatting power off the system immediately and that results in it basically deleting the last thing that was written to the card. When you fire it up with your fingers crossed, of course, which I did, you'll find that, uh, and I mean, we can't guarantee this. This is not our Shiro guarantee, but I can tell you it worked for me. I basically had the entire contents of my backup cart saved minus the last thing that I had written to the card, uh, which was mm. the corrupted data, you know, so... Um, but yeah, it, it, it sure is a troubling issue, especially nowadays, because we're all enthusiasts, you know, we're, we're using these systems far beyond probably what the manufacturers planned uh, for us to be doing. And we're using all sorts of cart solutions, you know, like Sudokai carts and uh, yep. backup carts and Netlink carts and uh, what have you. So, I mean, those those cart slots are seeing a lot of use. And, and it's like you were saying with the pin density, you know, those pins are so tiny. Um, I tried to get in there myself to, to fix or repair the cartridge slot. And I was just blown away by how tiny those pins are. And I was like, there's no way I'm bending any of these pins back, you know, how tiny they are. Um, yeah. But folks have found solutions to it. You know, like some people say, put a credit card or a business card behind the the cart and that kind of like forces it forward and put some pressure on the edge connector. Some people do the trick where you, you put it down and then you pull it up just like a, a millimeter, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that that causes it to engage, uh, causes the pins to engage. Um, and then recently, um, Knight of Dragon was telling me you could just unscrew the cartridge slot on both sides. There are screws, you know, you could unscrew them a little bit and, uh, and that, that, tends to work as well. So there are a lot of uh, different solutions to try to trying to work around <laughs> mm -hmm. the issue of that cartridge slot being so kind of finicky, you know, but yeah, it's interesting for sure. Curious, Dave, do you know of any sort of unusual facts or things that people may not know super well about general Saturn hardware. Cause I was just thinking, I mentioned that some of the earlier models, the ones that are cased in the, in the oval button model one, if you pop open the battery compartment in the back, there is the master reset button, like the memory reset button. Are you aware of any other sort of quirks or little known sort of bits about um, sort of stock Saturn hardware? Hmm. Uh, now that you're putting me on the spot, <laughs> I know that it, uh, I know that it's capable of playing uh, CD plus G, you know, it's, it's capable mm. of playing uh, karaoke CDs with graphics, like right out of the box. Um, and you don't need any kind of special cards to do that. You know, you just put in a karaoke, uh, CD, uh, fire up yeah. your Saturn and, and graphics will appear on the screen. You know, if it's a CD plus G, um, I know that, you know, for video CD capability, you do need the VCD card, which we were going right. to talk yes. about. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, do you have any other examples? Are you are you familiar well, with any? So the only other one I can think of that maybe isn't super well known is the very first Japanese models on the case the fan. on the uh, left hand side. They've got, um, you know, like there, there are holes there for for. Um, a fan to outlet air. Right. And like Saturns don't have fans. So I took apart one of my Saturns that had these holes on the side, uh, these vents, I should say. And mm -hmm. there's actually, um, it, you know, there is a, um, a pin there that terminates that is labeled as fan. So I think initially they may have 
planned to include a fan in the uh, first Saturns, but maybe realized that they just were never getting warm enough to warrant it. But that's right. something that's super neat. And you don't see those on any um, North American or European models. And you only see them on the very, very first runs of the uh, Japanese Saturn. So not even all the gray uh, uh, cased models will have them. But it's just to me, that was such a neat thing that it was maybe something that was planned all along and maybe just kind of scrapped or pulled at the very last minute. So it's a neat little sort of um, uh, uh, bit of trivia, I guess, that uh, not very many people are aware of. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, you know, they're it would be interesting if anybody, you know, may, perhaps that champagne model, you know, that, that was uh, yeah. like an early, you know, an early like teaser shot uh, of the system, you know, maybe that one actually had a fan on the board or whatever, you know, but yes. who knows, you know, yeah. so that that's cool. Definitely. I don't own one uh, of those models, but I've definitely seen them and, and thought to myself, well, you know, then they ended up putting a fan in there for the Dreamcast. And of course, yes. that that system needs it. You know? Yes. Like the, yeah. Sat- the Saturn doesn't get that hot, but I guess, you know, long gameplay se- uh, sessions, it can get pretty hot, especially when you got like the net link on there or, or mm-hmm. you know, like another cart that has voltage going through it. You know, it can get pretty toasty. Yeah, I especially, so I typically do my gaming um, on any Saturn other than the very first models, simply because the very first ones had the um, power supply unit sort of mounted on the plastic casing, the top of the plastic casing mm-hmm. of the Saturns, whereas all subsequent units had it resting within within the machine. And so the heat transfer is just greater into the plastic from those very first machines. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that that is, you know, worse or that's going to lead to degraded performance or issues down the line. But just as, you know, out of an abundance of caution, I tend to use those units less or at least for shorter play sessions uh, right. because of that, that you know, shell-mounted power supply unit. Which, and I mean, you know, so I've, I take apart all my Saturns as I get new ones and all the rest of it. Um, because I'm always curious to see what board revision I've got and all that. Uh, but opening up the very first revisions of Saturns, I mean, those things had ribbons and cables and weird daughter boards and tiny little, you know, like there are separate separate daughter boards, like micro daughter boards for both the access light and the power light. Exactly. Which, which is just madness, right? Yes. And then they... Yeah. they you know, the the top mount and the amount of tape that is inside yes. the unit to sort of keep all the wiring where it needs to be. Like, no wonder these things cost as much as they did to produce. Right. You know, it, it was just like, you were just thinking like, okay, this obviously, obviously they didn't have a lot of time to kind of like work out the, the streamlining of this thing. It was just, I mean, I can, that's, that's where, you know, the anecdotes of it being kind of bolted together, you know, people say, Oh, they, they bolted on a processor at the last minute. I mean, obviously that's not how PCB fabrication works. And I mean, anytime you add anything to it, you know, you, you do have to make sure that everything works in harmony, but at the same time, it's, it's definitely messy compared to, you know, the more the the cleaner kind of board designs that we see with like the PlayStation, even from the very beginning, like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it went through several revisions for that purpose, you know, for that very reason, you know, because it, it took a lot for them to be able to get it down to a reasonable cost where they weren't just bleeding, uh, you know, yes. with each system that they sold. And then, you know, but that's, of course, none of this stuff, I didn't know any of this stuff back then though. Again, you know, like my 17, you know, 16, 17 year old me didn't think about any of this stuff. I don't think I ever cracked open my Saturn to like mess with it. You know, I was just, I was just happy that it played games, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And in in terms of that, I would say that, that, you know, I was, I was super happy with it, you know, with the hardware. I think the, we both kind of agree that those shoulder buttons on the early, mark one or model one us controller kind of sucked you know like Mm. they felt like really poor remote buttons or something i don't know they just didn't have any kind of tactile feedback um that was one of the things that i noticed that that felt kind of cheap to me were were those shoulder buttons they were just clicky but with no real travel you know so it just kind of felt like yeah. yeah whereas um 
the model quote unquote model two controller or the original controller that they had over in Japan, the one that everybody loves so much, uh, feels great for fighting games and, and whatnot. That one uh, has better shoulder buttons, but arguably there's still not a lot of travel with those buttons. They're just digital little yep. clicky buttons, you know, but they are, it is a better design, you know, than, than what we got originally. And, uh, and that, that was my experience, even though I had a model two, uh, a round button Saturn uh, that I got used originally. I got a he threw in one of those Model One U.S. controllers into the bag, you know, and that's what I got originally. So that was my that was my first experience, you know, with a with a Saturn controller was the kind of boomerang or whatever people like to call it. You know, what what are your opinions on that controller? So okay, so when I the first couple times I rented a Saturn before I bought one. It was a Model 1 Saturn, and it came with the Western controllers. Um, and it, exactly like you. So, it, okay, so first of all, I just want to say they look absolutely the business. They look amazing. I love the look. I think it complements the look of the Model 1 Saturn shell tremendously. I think it just looks super, super cool. In contrast to the PlayStation's original controllers, which I honestly thought looked like crap. I did not <laughs> like those at all. But anyways... Um, I, I would agree with you. So the buttons felt fine. The face buttons felt fine. That sort of weird concave directional button that took some getting used to, but that wasn't uh, too much of a problem for me. I also thought that it looked super good too. Um, but those shoulder buttons, definitely, definitely something to get used to. And I mean, I had used a super NES controller before, which had shoulder buttons, um, you know, and to me it was like, okay, they, they click more, like you kind of, you sort of hear a click, but it wasn't until I tried an actual Japanese controller that I was like, okay, yeah. Okay. So, so this feels far better. So yes, in retrospect, the original sort of Western controllers, they looked well. Um, but how did you feel, how did you feel that they sort of felt in the hand? Because to me, they look amazing, but there's sort of an awkward grip. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's just like me. a, I don't, it's like a barrel chested person or something. It's like, it's just kind of, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't feel terrible in your hands. It's okay. just, it's just, I was so used to even like the large Genesis controller or definitely the SNES. As I said, I was a huge super Nintendo fan. And I mean, the SNES controller just felt really, really solid to me. And the shoulder buttons, used like rubber membranes, you know, they, they felt softer mm -hmm. and there was a little bit more travel on them, you know, uh, versus the, these Saturn buttons that just basically gave you a click and not much else, you know, almost mm -hmm. felt like you weren't even pressing them and you had to press them in a certain part of the button in, in order to get, you know, in order to, so if you were playing like a racing game where the control, the acceleration was mapped to, you know, one of the shoulder buttons, it just didn't feel very good. Um, as far as the shape goes, it, it was fine. I thought it looked okay. Honestly, I thought it looked weird. <laughs> I, think, I think my brother and I both kind of thought that it looked uh, bulbous and weird. Like, honestly, I thought that I didn't really like the D-pad. I didn't. Uh, I didn't like yeah. the Sony PlayStation's D-pad either, though, for that matter. So it was about tied. You know, the, the PlayStation, it's like you say, the PlayStation's controller was kind of out of left field too with the the grip sticks and stuff like that people were still figuring out how to make a good controller back then but sega really hit the nail on the head with the with the japanese saturn pad and i think that they realized it too because they ended up bringing it over here to the west and the rest is history i mean that's that's really the the pad that a lot of people love to this day and you know claim yes. that it's the best for fighting games you know and, and a lot of other stuff, too. It just feels better. Like, I like Wipeout on the Saturn because you get to use that pad. I don't oh, really like yes. playing Wipeout on the PlayStation, even though I feel it performs better. I just don't like playing it with the D, the PlayStation's D-pad, you know? Um, agreed. And I'll say the same for Tomb Raider, actually. Um, obviously, that performs better on the PlayStation than it does on the Saturn. But that PlayStation D-pad just... It just doesn't do it for me. It, to me, it's almost immersion breaking. It's mm -hmm. that bad. I really, really dislike it. Um, the other thing too is uh, Sega continued the tradition, at least with the Saturn, of having six face buttons. And that makes such a difference for the type of games that the Saturn sort of played host to. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
you know, with Sony having, did the original Sony controller have two sets of shoulder pads? It did, didn't it? Like it had not just shoulder buttons, shoulder buttons, R1 yes. and R2. It did, I believe, right? I believe so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. See, to me, that is less intuitive than, than more face buttons. Six is a pretty good number for me for, for face buttons. So, you know, I preferred it, whether it was the Western controller or the Japanese controller, I still preferred Sega's, um, design Mm -hmm. although of course once i ended up getting a japanese style controller and that's what came with my the first saturn that i bought for myself you know it was it it looked a lot simpler but boy did it ever just feel good and it just worked it was it, it was it was just really amazing compared to in my opinion how the western controller felt for me so you know aesthetically maybe i would give the edge to the to the western controller for myself, but in terms of gameplay and feel, there's, you can't really, there's no comparison, you know, and, yeah. and it's too bad. Cause I want to like the, the Western controller and, 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 you know, but, but when it comes to gameplay, I, you can't, you have to go with the uh, Japanese control pad. Of course, while we're on the top of a controllers, um, when I got my hands on the Knights controller or the 3d mm-hmm. control pad, if you will, or if you're in Japan, the multi control pad, uh, the Sega multi-control pad. Um, they, I guess, you know, they, they knew they were privy to the, the fact through Saturn magazine and everything that, that it was going to be a multi-controller and that there were going to be like attached peripherals planned at least, you know, that that was the purpose of the removable. Uh, but to me in the West, you know, having very little, uh, in terms of, you know, reporting on Saturn stuff, you know, to go off of. And it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like any of my friends had one that could, you know, give me any insight to that. When I got my hands on that Knights controller, I was just like, this is odd. You could remove the, <laughs> you can remove yeah. the yeah. the input plug is that. And I thought, you know, I thought, okay, maybe they're going to, you know, maybe they're going to give you like an extension later. You know, you could buy like a longer cable or something like that. I had no idea why you would want to remove yeah. that, but it was an interesting little thing, you know, um, it had like an edge connector. And so there was like a, it turns out there was a PCB on there with an, with a CPU on those controllers. Um, but it was a really interesting control design, you know, perfect round, <laughs> round circle, but it had these amazing, amazing, um, analog shoulder triggers, you know, that felt yes. so good. You know, they used hall sensors, which are like a magnetic sensor. And, uh, and it had that really weird, kind of like round ball for a, you know, 3d nub, I guess you could call it, you know? Um, and, but it felt really good and it worked great for games like Knights and, you know, other, several other racing games could utilize it, you know, or recognize it, uh, like it was a steering wheel. What do you think about the Knights controller? Oh man, I love the Knights controller. It's just, so first of all, it makes, playing knights an absolute dream it it is you know you could tell that the game was built with that sort of a control scheme in mind mm-hmm. um the analog triggers as far as i know that was a first because i recall that you know everybody released their analog controllers relatively at the same time so nintendo 64 came out those came in the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sony at some point released their Dual Shock, I believe, um, and then Sega had come out with the 3D pad or the multi controller, if you will. Um, but I don't know that any of the other two uh, uh, controllers had analog triggers. I, I could be wrong on that, but I don't think that they had analog triggers. Yeah, I don't and think so. so. You know, so it, it didn't make too much of a difference in Knights, the the, the analog triggers, right. but but in other games, I mean, you know, racing in a racing game. game where you know you can control essentially how how much you press down on the gas pedal versus the brake pedal, like that was that was phenomenal, I thought, and and the shape of it was was clean, it, like it looked bizarre, it, to be honest, but it fit your hand really really well, um, and again, I recall just as with sony's initial controller how people at the time thought it was revolutionary and just so much better than than what sega was putting out i recall at the time everybody was just fawning over the n64 pad which is one of my most hated pads in all of (laughs) gaming i i just think it's terrible there's you know anyways 
whereas Sega came out with, you know, um, the 3D pad, and I thought it was lovely. It, you know, again, six face buttons. You could flip between digital and analog uh, controls by, by that little switch on the bottom there. Right. You have um, analog uh, triggers, and, you know, and you have an actual proper D-pad too. So um, to me, it was just the ultimate controller. It is still such a heavily used controller um, you know, when I game, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it even really works with fighting games. It's not nearly as comfortable, but you've got all your face pads there mm-hmm. or your face, face buttons. So, you know, to me, it's just, uh, it's an amazing controller. I love I've heard it. Some people say, I've heard some people say they, they prefer the D pad on the 3d control pad over any of the other D pads, you know, that it's that good of a D pad. Um, you know, it is a very, very good D pad. I'm not sure that it's really different from, you know, like a Japanese style regular controller. I, I could be wrong. I, but, but it is solid for sure. It feels a little different to me. I mean, it's, it? uh, maybe, maybe it's just that, okay. So this could be anecdotal, but the, it, it's, it's a more, it's a little more tactile. Like it's got a, um, like a coating on it, almost like a gritty coating. Yeah. Um, so the plastic is not like smooth. Now I'm wondering if that's just like, all the controllers are like that. And I've just worn off that gritty coating on my other control pads. That's possible, but it does. Um, you know what it is though, is that it's kind of in the center of this large surrounding circle and it's just got more space on the sides. So I would say that you could kind of like, you could kind of like when you do quarter circles or like half circles and stuff like that, it, it just feels different. It's interesting. It may just be anecdotal, but but again, I have heard people in forums and on Facebook groups say, oh, I like the you know D-pad on the 3D control pad uh, better than the one on the regular controller. So it's worth mentioning. And then I also yeah. like the start button, which is like this rubber texture. It's a very nice feeling start button. And to be honest with you, I, I've often wondered, like, what would it be like if all of the face buttons were that rubber texture, you know, um, oh, might not give me blisters as much, you know? <laughs> interesting. No, that's true, I guess. That's fair. Um, I... You know, I also kind of wonder, and I know we've seen some of that in some of the patent work and whatever, but some of the planned attachments to that controller that never saw the light of day. Right. You know, and I, I, if I remember, one of them was for sure going to be a mic and there was going to be something with motion control as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, of course, none of that ever came to pass, but but it's fascinating how how a lot of Sega's peripherals we're sort of forward thinking that way. Another one that comes to mind, I'm not sure you'll have to tell me if you've ever used one is the, the flight stick. Oh so, yeah. Right. Like, so first of all, you can reconfigure the buttons and the, um, the actual uh, joystick to be either on the left or the right hand side. So that's up to the user. Exactly. And there is a secondary uh, port so that something else could have connected to to the uh, flight controller. So, you know, even though, again, nothing officially came to pass that made use of the, that port. Well, wait a second. Isn't it true that you can connect a second flight stick so that you have dual sticks? So, I mean, physically you sure could, yes. But nothing ever but I'm not it? sure that anything took advantage of that. And you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on this. I don't know that I could. I just, I've seen other people do it. And I, uh, maybe somebody in the comments uh, can let us know. Um, I mean, I'd have to like look it up, but essentially, uh, it was my understanding that you could actually connect another flight stick physically and you'd end up with something that looked like a dual or like a twin stick. Uh, not yeah. that, not that it would work on twin stick games, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, at least I don't know, but I seem to remember and see, this is where you get really into the week. This is where you get really niche. <laughs> like I can't imagine a lot of people have tried this cause you'd have to have two flight sticks. But I seem to remember somebody saying that you could control either Panzer Dragoon's Vi this way, or um, or one of one of the games on the Saturn was uh, had this extra, very very niche control setup where you could use the two flight sticks. So that's something I'm going to have to research and be able to talk about uh, knowledgeably later. But yeah, so it's crazy. Uh, it was a really good stick, though. Panzer Dragoon's Vi felt great with that stick. Yeah, I like the stick as well. I I actually only have one otherwise because I know you can connect two uh, sticks physically together that I am aware of, but I'm not sure whether anything actually takes advantage of it. But Hmm. it would be neat to see whether like you were saying that the Panzer game would do it or if there would be any kind of different 
effect or, or whatever that gets activated. Mm -hmm. So that, unfortunately, I don't know. Um, ever use an arcade racer? Absolutely. I'm sitting right next to one. <laughs> right Can on. I say that it gives me any kind of competitive edge? No, no, I cannot actually. <laughs> I slide around like the there's oil on the track when, when I'm using that thing in Daytona. I mean, it it's fun. Don't get me wrong. And I'm some people are probably going to say this is sacrilege, you know. So um, I didn't have one back in the day. I picked one up within the last few years, you know, just as a Saturn mm -hmm. fan getting back into collecting for Saturn and stuff. And so I have a gray Japanese uh, model. Um, it's pristine though. It's in pristine mm -hmm. condition. I love the darn thing. I just don't use it that much. Um, formula carts is one of the games that I do use it on and it feels amazing. Folks okay. might know that. Yeah. So you have a lower center of gravity, hypothetically, because it's in a game, but you know, in formula carts, you, you're driving go-karts, you know? And so you're very yeah. close to the ground. Something about the combination of the racing wheel with formula carts and having that very low to the ground kind of perspective works amazing. It's almost a one-to-one -one feel. It feels very much like driving a go-kart in real life. And I actually find that I don't know if I'm better at the game, but I have a lot more fun with the game using the mm. steering wheel with that. And I think I would go as far as to say that about um, Virtua or virtual uh, v Time Warner's VR <laughs> virtual racing. Yeah. Um, yeah using the go-karts specifically. Oh, right. Um, yep. Yeah. Using the go-karts again with that per first person's perspective, it's very similar, but whenever I try to use it on any, on any racer where you're higher up and it's just, I've just not been able to find much success. Um, mm -hmm. or at least I've not been able to find a competitive edge over just using the, the D pad, you know? Okay. You know, I, so I used to own one, uh, it's a regret of mine that I had, I had one, it was in box. It was a North American uh, model and I, I sold it. Uh, it's something I regret obviously, but much like you, it didn't seem to offer as great of a, of a different experience as you would have hoped. But I will very briefly tell you of a, what I think is a missed opportunity. So the racing wheel is of course compatible with like bike racing games, mm -hmm. but it's sort of weird and awkward because on a bike, you don't have a steering wheel. You, you have handlebars that you turn, you know, those side handlebars on the arcade racer. Wouldn't it be super cool if they could flip up to yes. create like a handlebar yes. that potentially could swivel. So, you know, it could have been a unit that could have served both sort of the, you know, like a, a racing games that, you know, has the driver hold on to a wheel and as well as racing games where you're holding on to a bike's handlebar. Mm -hmm. So I think that could have been an easy adjustment to make in production. It wouldn't have, it been... Would have been a physical modification to the darn thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there, I don't think there would have been necessarily any sort of, you know, software or logic or anything like that, that would have had to, to be altered. So to me, that's a, that's a big missed opportunity, but it's rare for me to say that about, Sega, because remember at the time Sega was heavily into arcades and they would build their own cabinets and, you know, they would come up with all kinds of weird and crazy cabinet stuff. So their, their hardware and their peripherals were usually super solid. So to me, this was just a little bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And I, I mean, I, I do love the paddle shifters that are on the, the racing wheel. Mm. Um, so I can say that, but other than that, yeah, I think it's just one of those things where um, some folks may have, it it may have been their first experience with a certain racing game. And so maybe they got good, you know, so to speak. Uh, but for me, yeah, it's just really kind of a fish out of water kind of feeling. Um, I just much more prefer like in Sega rally. I just much more prefer the D pad, you know, cause that's just what I'm really good at. Um, yep. Some games I use the 3d control pad and the analog, you know, to, to get a little bit more finesse, but for the most part I use, I tend to just use the D pad and do really well at racing games overall, you know, um, so that, that, you know, that's when it comes to control, I just really love the, the classic Saturn controller for almost everything, uh, with a few exceptions, you know? Um, but aside from control input, um, you know, did you guys want, you, sorry, do you want to talk about, um, the net link by any chance? Did you ever have any experience with that back in the day? No, uh, not back in the day. I'm actually fairly recent uh, to the Netlink, and my experience with the Netlink is limited to getting it to work uh, in local head-to-head. -head. So I've never actually taken the Saturn online, and I know there's just a ton of developments these days with 
you know, not just getting the netlink online, but also uh, using it to continue to play uh, players from all over the world. So, you know, me personally, no, the, the best I've ever done is to be able to connect two Saturns through two netlinks through a local sort mm-hmm. of setup, which in and of itself is actually pretty cool. You know, being able to play a game like Duke Nukem or Sega Rally um, or even Virtual On, where both players have their own screens is a phenomenal experience that is just absolutely rad so mm-hmm. uh you know uh, but but in terms of playing folks over the internet i do not have any experience but i think you do don't you yeah um it's not experience from back in the day though because i will admit i was not playing netlink back in that my first online console experience was definitely dreamcast and pso you know um mm. but yeah subsequently i did pick up a, a netlink and i really enjoyed playing over voip uh using the old method that Joe Sega RPG fan uh, brought about with Zaiden. Um, and then even su- more subsequently, the tunneling uh, method using either a PC or a Raspberry Pi. It's been really fun. And I've got to kind of like experience net, you know, what Netlink was like, you know, direct dialing another player. It's been a lot of fun. And I think it's an amazing uh, peripheral, you know, really for what it is very, very forward thinking ahead of its time. And just, you know, ahead of the market, you know, really, you know, that just the market was not there yet. They would be, they would end up being there with the dreamcast. And then probably more importantly, the PS, uh, the PlayStation two's LAN adapter, uh, would have a high adoption rate, you know, for online games. And then of course, Xbox live, it's just, it's just like classic Sega always being there a, a few years too early, you know, <laughs> but they were yeah. just, it was amazing. And and I love my Netlink cart and um, I try to put it to work as much as I can, you know, to get the most out of my Saturn, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah you know, it, it, there's a lot of great things that, that we're kind of discovering in this way. You know, a, a lot of great, a lot of these great peripherals, you know, like the VCD card, you know, folks are messing around with that, you know, and and of course, we're getting uh, translations like the Lunar uh, MPEG card version, you know, that'll yep. utilize that. And so folks have more reasons to to, uh, you know, invest in those those niche peripherals in order to get the most bang for the buck out of their Saturn, you know, and keep it uh, keep it going on all cylinders. You know, so I really appreciate the fact that the Saturn did have uh, a pretty robust library of peripherals for it. And there's something for everybody, really, you know. I may yeah, not have had experience with everything back in the day, but definitely um, what I have had experience with, I've really enjoyed, you know, and I feel that it makes the console that much better, you know? Yeah. And I mean, just to sort of wrap up that topic, it almost seems to me like if I think back to what it was like when I was young and the Saturn was re- at retail, it was current. It was more important to me to spend money on the games. I wanted the game experiences, but as time has gone on and Saturn left retail and all the rest of it, and fast forward to today, I'm much more nuanced in what I want to get out of the system mm-hmm. and trying games that I don't think I would have ever tried, you know, buying at full price back then. And and the same goes with peripherals. You know, it's no longer necessarily a big, giant, expensive purchase or or anything like that, or even, you know, a purchase in lieu of a game or two, you know, right. so... So it's just, it's, it's given me more of an appetite to try all these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were there, they were there, uh, you know, while the system was current. And I would also say, Dave, that the Saturn and to a lesser extent, the PlayStation, that was really the last generation of game uh, consoles that released with like a full suite of, of peripherals. You had your fight right. stick, you had your flight sticks, you had your racing wheels and so on and so forth. You know, in the future that wasn't even, even as, as early as the Dreamcast, that wasn't as um, pronounced. It wasn't as much uh, of a feature of the launch lineup right. mm-hmm. um, as it was for the Saturn. So it truly, to me, the Saturn was sort of like the last gamers machine that was put together primarily by, you know, um, hardware people and designers as opposed to PR guys or marketing guys, you okay. know, that took into account that rich arcade heritage. So it immediately offered you, you know, solid peripheral hardware to complement your console. And it, so to me, it's sort of like, you know, the end of an era in a way, because mm-hmm. even Dreamcast, in my opinion, moved away from a lot of those uh, sensibilities. So, so it was a nice sort of, uh, uh, sort of 
you know, a crowning achievement of what mm-hmm. Sega, the older Sega kind of stood for and what they represented. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree, agree more. And honestly, since we're coming up on time on what's supposed to be a mini cast and all, and we have so much more to talk about, honestly, we could we could talk about the arcade fight sticks, which there are many. We can mm. talk about the MIDI adapter. We could mm. talk about the we could talk about the VCD cards at more length. Uh, we could talk about the floppy disk drive or the Tyson, the, cable. The Tyson yeah. cable. So we're probably going to have to do a part two of this for sure, where we deep dive into the more niche stuff you know the stuff that most people didn't have experience with back in the day um the exciting thing that i will say about all this stuff about many of the things that we've mentioned and the stuff that we haven't is that even though they didn't really get utilized that much back in the day maybe they support one title supported them or a handful of titles supported them the exciting thing is that now with the homebrew community being what it what what it is and people really starting to unlock the potential of the console there is promise of and and hope of these units these peripherals being used more you know like for example uh anthony knight of dragon was able to put twin stick support into the english dub localization of bulk slash which was amazing Uh, you know so i'm really looking forward to more of that kind of stuff in the future and who knows you know maybe we can really put these peripherals through their paces you know through the homebrew scene you know so that's something i'm really excited for moving forward just to see what folks are able to do with these things going forward, you know? Absolutely. And just like that, the Saturn story continues. Absolutely. That's the best part about all of this. So do us a favor and tell us in the comments what rare or obscure peripheral you would like us to talk about in the next issue of this it may be uh may not be for a while but we will come back around to the hardware and probably do a part two so you know let us know what you think we missed or what you would like us to cover and you know we can talk about that next time for sure um but until next time this has been saturn dave and peter editors for shiro magazine reminding you that you must play your sega saturn and that we hope you have a great great day and enjoy listening to this podcast and we'll see you on the next round All right. Bye, everybody.